Hi, welcome to the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. I'm Brooke Ritchie Babbage, social justice lawyer turned nonprofit founder and leader of a seven-figure nonprofit. I've spent the past 20 years immersed in social impact work, and I've worn so many hats. I've worked as a leader, a board member, a coach, and a strategist. I've ridden the highs of changing lives and communities, and I have weathered the many storms that go along with doing social change work. And through it all, I've learned an important lesson. There is a method to the madness of leading social impact work. I created the Nonprofit Mastermind to share that method, to pull back the curtain on the actual strategies and mindset behind launching, growing, and leading a high-impact nonprofit. Ultimately, we do this work to make the world a more beautiful, equitable, and just place, and I wanna help you do that. If you're a passionate, committed leader who's looking to build and lead an institution that has real and lasting impact, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to July. I cannot believe we're halfway through the year already. Halfway done with 2022. It doesn't even sound right. Before I get started introducing my guest this week, whom I absolutely love, I just want to let you all know that July 8th, this Friday, is the last day to enroll in my Impact Accelerator until the fall. For those of you who are new to listening, the Accelerator is a six-month coaching and training program for established organizations, that means with at least six figures in revenue, that are serious about growing. We focus on growing your revenue, your staff, your board, your network, your influence, and your impact. Basically, organizations that are ready to level up as an organization and want the direction, the coaching, and the support to help them do that faster and with less overwhelm than if they were doing it on their own. In the Accelerator, we focus on building systems and strategies that help you grow. We get more clarity about what to actually focus on versus what to let go of, more confidence about the strategies that will actually work, and we focus on getting you access to networks of experts and other leaders and deep dive trainings so that you can do the things you need to do in the right order and grow and see the return on your investment within the six months. You can apply at richiebabbage.com backslash nonprofit accelerator. So now today's guest, I am talking with the incredible Nita Baum, leadership coach, teacher, and founder of Be Free. The work of Be Free captures and embodies Nita's orientation towards the whole world. She founded it to re-envision and recreate the workplace as healing space where freedom, sustainability, and well-being happen for everyone at work and through work, not just in spite of work. And it's an incredible collection of freelancers and consultants and people that work with organizational leaders and organizational teams to basically help them center healing leadership and joy in their work. And I think despite actually having been founded quite a few years before COVID, these last few years have just really, really highlighted for me personally why it's so important to approach work 
not just as something we do, but as something that sustains us and gives us energy and is a source of joy. And that's the main reason that I wanted to talk with Nita on the podcast, because I so enjoy talking with her about this and learning from her in my own work. She has spent the past 20 plus years actually working with and stewarding complex organizations and teams through change and growth. Her first business was a strategy and organizational change consultancy, and she focused on executive leadership, C-suite executive leadership in K through 16 education around the world. So she's deeply rooted in organizational design, team building, culture change, and strategy. And what I find fascinating and compelling about what she does now is that she takes those ideas all of the things that make up the sort of the interstitial tissue of a well-functioning organization and she takes them to the next level she's a practitioner of holistic health coaching yoga as psychosomatic therapy conflict resolution and mediation and restorative justice facilitation as well as psychosomatic healing and embodied facilitation in our conversation she talks about how she draws on these skills and practices and she brings them together to help organizations and teams deepen their ability to work together and to find joy in their work we talk about what she sees as the deep relationship between well-being and human potential the strategies she draws on to help people and teams navigate conflict and how organizations can bake healing leadership into the fabric of their work internally and what they do in the world Nita is an exciting thinker and creator and just a beautiful person to talk to. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. Hey, Nita, how are you? I'm really good, Brooke. Thank you for being in conversation with me today. You can't see, the, the listeners can't see my face, but I'm we're both beaming. <laughs> I'm really happy to be talking to you. Um, this is twice in two days, which makes me super happy. <laughs> what, what a joy. Uh, what a joy. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so we are going to have a great conversation today about healing leadership, which is just a way of thinking about social change work and working in community to bring about change that so deeply resonates with me. And so I'm really excited to dive deeply into that. But I want to start with you. I want to start with your origin story and what you do, you know, before we started the the official conversation, we were joking about how you do many, many things. Um, so I'd love for you to share sort of what you do and, and how you arrived here in this moment doing this work around healing leadership thank you so much um brooke and again i just i i really want to thank you for being in dialogue with me i think um we heal in community as as many of us talk about today so i view the context of this conversation as an offering to both of us um, and also an offering to the beautiful humans who will be uh, listening to this. Um, and uh, I like to start conversations with a little bit of that in invocation. Yeah. And yeah. the simple invocation for me is like, may we all leave 
this conversation more well um, than the way we stepped into it. So love that. Thank you. <laughs> you. Uh, thank you. Uh, so I will start with I'm going to start with what I do and allow that to flow a little bit into into the inquiry of who I am, which is an ongoing yes. inquiry. <laughs> Uh, and I will connect that to origin and Genesis story. Um, so at the moment, I am the founder of Be Free. Um, our lofty vision, as I like to call it, and what we seek to embody ourselves is the idea uh, of transforming workplaces to healing spaces. And the invitation of that intention and 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 that actual implementation work that we do with organizations we work with. Um, and the organizations we work with include social justice um, organizations. Uh, and the way we describe it is, is nonprofits and for-profits, teams and leaders and individuals who are, are who have a sense of purpose um, and are expressing that purpose in the world and, and seeking to create however they may articulate it, greater well-being. Uh, and the we is myself and my um, incredible team of, of co-creators uh, who come from a multitude of disciplines and um, whose wisdom is a gift to me every time we have the opportunity to be, at, be, be together. I, today I was thinking about this and I was like, I am the leader and I, I, uh, I take that seat and they're all my teachers. So, um, so there's yeah. a great deal of, of humility in occupying that, mm -hmm. that seat. And there's a lot I will say about what I actually think a leader is uh, yes. as we progress through this conversation. I know we'll get, we'll get into that, which is great. <laughs> totally. So um, the, the idea to, to offer a couple of, simple frames that speak to um, what we do as well as our approach, uh, how we do it. Um, I will offer these two. Number one, we are in the inquiry and the business of, of the, the deep relationship we see between well-being and human potential. And what I will say about the equity dimension of our work is that it's integral to our work. Yeah. So it needs to be stood up next to the importance of, of well-being and human potential. But as I like to describe it, that's the horizon. What we seek to do, what our intention is, and the impact we're hoping to create is, is greater well-being. And, and in our experience and our approach, that is co-iterative with uh, unleashing human potential like they beget each other they support and enable each other yeah um and i i think that's really important because in our current workplaces it often feels and we are often um perhaps unconsciously like co-creating parrot like a paradigm where they're pitted against each other as opposed to seen as mutually supportive and enabling um, and, and to get specific on 
on that. Like we view the person as, we view people as complex systems who think, sense, and feel. And so when we are attending to the wholeness of those three dimensions, you could think of it as uh, of our capacities, thinking, sensing, and feeling, we are not only unleashing more potential and capacity in the person to contribute to the work, the mission, and the relationships of the organization, and thereby the impact. Um, we're also unleashing greater well-being in the individuals and teams and the organization and collective as a whole. Um, uh, and not attending, another way to put it sort of simply is like, if we don't attend to, for example, our, our, our feelings, <laughs> we know all kinds of things happen as a product of that, right, in the workplace. And so we, we experience um, conflict. We, we find ourselves uh, being less candid and therefore potentially compromising um, the quality of our work and the impact potential of it, right? Because we're unwilling or disincentivized from ourselves or from one another or the conditions of the environment to, to not speak up or be candid and offer our perspective if it feels counter to what might be acceptable. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. like, right, that lack of dissent or lack of diverse perspectives is what we know very often and the research pans out and the practice and the experience pans out, like results in um, uh, outcomes we're not seeking. <laughs> um, yeah, right. I, I, I mean, and it's, I'm sure this has happened to you so many times, the number of times I've been in groups on teams and working groups, where niceness, sameness, people look around and they're like, I feel like we could be going farther, doing more, being more generative, being more creative, if we weren't so nice, but I can't quite figure out like how to get through the the niceness and they don't mean nice as in polite or respectful or, you know, recognizing and <laughs> respecting one another's humanity. They mean this safeness that you're mm -hmm. the safety you're talking about. Um, and what I hear you talking about is these sort of these ideas of, of unleashing human potential and seeking greater well-being. that what undergirds them both is engaging with these dimensions these three dimensions right and they those dimensions give rise to and shape to what unleashes human potential and leads to greater well-being yes <laughs> yes and thank you so much for the for the example and and kind of concretizing mm -hmm. right it is um the idea of like niceness mm -hmm. uh, and the way that that plays out in the context and what um and what I would say is like part of the work, an example of what it means to kind of embody greater potential is we're not saying don't be nice. We're just saying, how often do you find yourself being nice? And is that always the tool right. <laughs> or the practice yeah. um, that you want to live into? What else is possible? And yeah. what arises from experimenting with um, I wouldn't say just like the opposite of being nice, but like no. what is there? What yeah. else? What does it look like to be candid and kind, for example? Exactly. Um, yeah. And where might that lead you? Right. So yeah. to be an experiment and learning of that. Um, uh, 
Um, the other frame that I will offer about our work, and then I'll and then I'll get specific about like the actual services and like what we do, because um, I can hang out in the in the abstract realm, which <laughs> uh, uh, is is we work at the, the you know at the level of personal interpersonal slash team and organizational slash collective. Um, and I, I find that that's a helpful frame in social justice work in particular, because I think there are times where we focus on one to the exclusion of the other, much like thinking, sensing, and feeling, right? Um, and, and we may do that for because of our own cultural context or our family histories or a number of other um, uh, facets of, of our life experience that have us just kind of hang out in one of those spaces. Um, but we offer that frame because we view them as interdependent with each other. And if we're in the business of like transformation, um, then part of our invitation there is to expand our understanding about like the levers that we, we need to invest in, in order to actually create that level of change, right? Like transformation is big, big change. I think of it as like, what is transformation to me? Transformation is the kind of change you don't roll back. Like you can't roll it back because you can't unsee what you've seen. You can't unhear what you've heard, yeah. right? You can't unexperience what you've experienced. It's such a fundamental qualitative change that it's, it's I was gonna say, it's a transformation. <laughs> Yeah, and that's where we bring in like embodiment. It's like it's like literally at the level at a, at the individual's cellular level or the organization's cellular level, right? Things have shifted. There is a new something new has arisen. Um, and so to speak to each of those dimensions, like what I would say is what we often find is clients will invite us in because they are looking at things through the lens of what the organization needs. We need some level of organizational change because some stuff is you know, could go better or it's going awry. Um, uh, we don't have enough diversity or um, we're having conflicts, you know, conflicts are, are coming up in, in different parts of the work. Um, and I would say in our experience, um, many organizations index on that or even on the team level or the interpersonal, um, where they index less, uh, where they invest less is on the personal level. Right. And, and I think there are a lot of legitimate reasons for that, but part of our, our invitation there is to, is to just recognize that the thread pulls through um, to function. Yeah. And this almost sounds basic, but in actual practice, it's a, it's a real thing we encounter, right? It's like to create interpersonal change, we, yes, we have to operate at the level of we at the level of our partnership or our interaction together as two people or as more than two people on a team. And yet that is going to confront us with our limitations within ourselves, right? So if I find myself in conflict with you, um, then, you know, uh, from our perspective, right? If you're exercising your power, you're gonna recognize that that conflict is co-created in some way there is yeah. mutual. Yeah. So what is the opportunity? And, and that confrontation tends to happen quickly. So working at those multiple levels is, again, designed to, to reinforce mutually. And sometimes, you know, and, and that's a lot to bite off in an organization. So, so 
sometimes we do this over many years. We stay with an organization for a long time. And other times there's a more discrete, clear need that an organization has that surfaces that falls more clearly within one of those domains. Um, and what we actually do and how we do it, I would describe, uh, I will highlight a couple of things. Um, number one, we coach individuals and groups. So we coach individuals um, to bring greater cognizance of inequity in their organizations and see the relationship and illuminate and work on the relationship between that inequity and the well-being of, of the folks in the mix, um, including the org as a whole. Um, we also coach groups. So that gets really fun because we, we operate at the level of what, how are you embodying the inequities <laughs> that you're seeing internally, right, amongst yourselves that you're seeking to shift externally in your programming or the services that you as an organization offer. And that's where we find there are some really great illuminations and there's a lot of, there's discontent when there is a strong recognition of like, oh, we're going out there talking about justice and, um, and uh, how much we care about racism, but actually what are we espousing? What are we embodying within ourselves? And we're finding that there there's is a, a gap dissonance. there, right? Yeah, there's a dissonance, yeah. And what we espouse, what we embody in our in our org versus what we're espousing externally. So there we see these really powerful opportunities. It's like if, if y'all got blind spots um, amongst yourselves to recognize that that working with that blind spot is going to unleash more capacity and potential to 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 uh, embody what you espouse externally, right? Like in your programming. So if you can't see something about race internally what makes you think you're going to be <laughs> capable of seeing it externally, right? You might have a similar blind spot. So sometimes there is a really linear relationship between what, where you might be blocked um, or where there's, there's room for growth internally and, and room for growth externally. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that sort of is similar at, at the org, uh, at the org level and the org level, when we say we work at the org level, we provide counsel, um, on policies, on, on if, if you think of the organizational level as like how the organization meets the rest of the world. So policies and recruiting policies, for example, right? Um, but again, you can, you can write a really amazing policy, but if your people are not capacitated to live into it, you know, that, that's the, that has the best language about equity ever, but that's if your people right. are not live into it they'll be living into it with their biases and without a consciousness of them right so that is why we'll we'll kind of come back and root in the importance of of the inner work um, it's amazing i see that so often with boards for example and with um with new teams right that um i talk about it in my accelerator program as structure not following from function, right? I think that people, especially we live now in this age of, you and I are the same age. So when we were coming up, there was no Google, right? Which I actually think, I mean, look, Google's amazing. You can find anything. But one of the downsides is there's so many organizations that get really anxious about, you know, how do we integrate equity into our work? How do we build culture, you know, how do we make it really clear to new board members, new team members that these are what our values are. And so they Google, you know, governance manual, or they Google equity policies. And then they have a policy 
right? And they have this document that is, you know, everybody's talked about and they voted on it and the structure is there, but the function, the working together, the building the interstitial tissue of operationalizing the values hasn't happened. So the structure doesn't follow the function. And then they're confused and they're frustrated when they're like, but we talked about the policy. We had a whole retreat about the policy. Why aren't you living out the policy, you know? Um, so I just, I love, because what you're talking about is, and what it sounds like you guys do, is really get in there and draw the connections between doing the work, embodying the work, living the work, and then capturing it and then building, okay, what does the policy say now that we know what it means to live this? Yeah, absolutely. And th thank you for that. Um that framing because uh, it makes me, it kind of brings to the fore for me, the idea of like, sometimes we say this facetiously, but we're like, the, the policy doesn't get expressed unless there's a person expressing Exactly. So that's yeah. Um, right. Uh, that's that's one piece of it. Another way to put it is like systems are comprised of people. Systems are people. They're not just abstracted. Um, and, and there is a dimension of them, yes, that may, uh, you know, there is codification, which we have a lot of respect for, right? Codification is an attempt to um, create sustainability, even as people come in and out of organizations. So I think about this a lot, at, you know, legislatively at the, at, the, at the country level, right? It's just like legislation outlives the individual's who then practice it. So there is a way to honor that. Yes, there is some level of abstraction. It's not just either or. And yet um, to, the, to the living into that is done by individuals, right? So, so that it's the, it's the focus on the individual sort of first, as you said it, or at least um, co, at least at the same time, right? Um, so that they, they are informing each other. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so how did you come to all of this? <laughs> oh, I love that question. And um, hmm. I'm You're like, like which, which through line of my life should, <laughs> should I yeah, exactly. like bring into the story here? <laughs> I, that's exactly right. I, I also pause for two reasons when I when I'm um, asked a really beautiful inquiry like, and and this actually speaks to some of our work, right? There are some tools and practices we equip folks with, uh, in in our coaching work, that invites us to experiment with moving like expanding our tool set, becoming more versatile and like moving differently. So I find a default in the workplace, a cultural default in the workplace is we move quickly. Someone asks you a question, like act, react. That would be right? me. I, <laughs> I, I'm often told, you know, I am queen of, we get 10 minutes into a meeting and somebody says, you know, why don't we go back and introduce ourselves? I'm like, right, sorry. <laughs> Hi everyone. <laughs> So I'm guilty of that. <laughs> and, and, and again, as I said, it's like, uh, there's this spirit of like, I, I'm disinclined to judge what we do. I'm just like, if that's the only thing we do, 
as my mom would say, when I was first learning to play the harmonium and I would sing to her, this was, this was when I was a caregiver for her when she was dying. She was like, I was teaching myself how to play. So I literally would just play the same song every time. She was like, you're a one trick pony. I was like, oh God. That she was like, learn something. Um, <laughs> so, so that, you know, it's like, uh, in in the inquiry of what what it means to be a leader and to move differently and and specifically around equity which is like we're we're all we're we're learning what that is and what it is to actually embody that and live that together and even those of us who are in have been practitioners in the space for a very long time i i think at least from my perspective, behooves us to have a lot of humility about that because we haven't seen it modeled. So we are very much in the creation and generation of that together, which is part of why I think conversations like this are so um, necessary because they are exactly the opportunity to live that. Um, but it, again, it's about like expanding, expanding your tool set. So for me, that pause is like, can I, can I use the simple tool of slowing down which gives me an opportunity to be in relationship with myself, uh, which gives me an opportunity to be in relationship with you from a place of presence, right? More wholly and really be with like the question you're asking me so that what I then generate from there is, is, is um, more alive, <laughs> right? Uh, and not just from like a gut pattern response of like the same story I would tell over the and talking over again. points. Right? The talk, like what is what is being in this context with you specifically going to allow us to explore together and acknowledge? Like to me, that's a cognizance of like the power of interdependence. Mm -hmm. How does my story emerge from the context um, itself? So with all that, I bought myself some time. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I love it. Lessons, frameworks, <laughs> emergence. Um, and, and let's see, the story I'm going to tell today is so funny that this comes up, but I'm going to tell a story about Japan. So, so, uh, and I, and, and I will share a little bit about my Genesis story in the, in the process. So mm -hmm. I, I was born in Jamaica, Queens in New York City to two East Indian immigrant parents. I'm the middle of three sisters. And, um, and, uh, and when I went to college, um, a week before, <laughs> a week before I graduated, so I was pre-med, I studied art history, I also studied Japanese, the language, which um, I was really curious about uh, Japanese culture, but also about um, uh, its art and philosophy and Buddhism um and japanese and spirituality and its connection to nature um and so uh so i didn't tell my parents um until the last week before i graduated <laughs> that i didn't take the mcat and i wasn't going to medical school and i was on this whole other path um uh wow <laughs> yeah I, I, it was a you know that that was bold <laughs> um and so um a week before I leave for Japan, I had been I had applied to the JET program, which is the Japanese exchange teaching program. It's like a, a, a culture exchange program um, facilitated by the Japanese embassy. 
uh, and a week before I leave to live on a tiny 4,000 person island, which is where I got placed. Like you don't get to choose the actual placement, but you get to choose the parameters. And I, growing up in New York City, I was yearning for nature and um, yearning for something different. And I was like, well, this is gonna challenge me and teach me some stuff. So they play, I said, I want a rural placement. And they got really real. They were like, you want rural? We're gonna put you on an island, 4,000 uh, people. Um, and also that island was five and a half hours away from the mainland by boat. So it was in the, it was in the prefecture of Nagasaki, which we all, you know, which, which we know for its historical context. And, um, and it was like basically in the South Korean sea. So <laughs> I was pretty far out there. <laughs> this and, is why uh, you can't ask 21 year olds what they want because. <laughs> You're just like, that's what I thought I wanted. It's like when my sister was in middle school, she went on a, a field class trip exchange program for three weeks um, and told the school, she was in Europe and told the school that she was a vegetarian because she was not, but I guess it sounded cool at 12. I literally, I do not know where that came from, but they listened. And so she arrived in France and that is not the place where I mean, if you are a vegetarian, which many people in my family are okay, but she was not and missed out on a lot of wonderful French food because they only served her vegetarian food. And she, it took her like a day to be like, I made a mistake. I'm so sorry. They're like, nope, we've already planned all of the meals for this exchange program. You're in the vegetarian plan. And my mom, when she called my mom, she was crying and my mom was like, why would you listen to an 11 year old? Like, why, why did you ask? So that's a little bit how I feel. It's like the 21 year old version of that. <laughs> oh man, yes, um, yes. Ooh, I love that story. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so I get there. And they're the they the 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 folks who run the program are legitimately freaked out. They're like, this kid is from New York City. I went to college in New York. I went to Columbia. I was they were just like, what's she gonna do here? <laughs> this island. Like she might need some support. And it turns out I loved it. It was it was amazing. Um, and it was amazing because being on an island far away from everything that I knew. Uh, which I think my soul was actually yearning for that very experience of challenge and growth, um, which was very much to my parents' dismay because their my mother my mother wrote me a, like a seven page letter when I got there and she was like you're not going to grad school and you know what are you doing and all the things and the moment I got that letter I like read it and I was like oh. and I was like and I'm gonna show you mama like I'm gonna show you what I'm doing because part of me was also like well you guys chose to leave India and land in the United States. And, and some of the impetus for going there was actually to build empathy for their experience as immigrants. I remember it as a very distinct thought. I was like, what is it like to be an immigrant? Because I don't know that feeling. I, I do know the experience of, of having this kind of dual identity of like, I can feel mother India as part of my, um, I can feel it. I can feel mother India in my body. I can feel it in the culture of my household. I can feel it in the conversations we have in uh, when my parents spoke English and Gujarati, which is uh, we're from the state of Gujarat. You know, I could I could feel it in their stories, and I could also feel my Americanness deeply, and I could feel my resonance and identity with both, and my conflict with both. 
right, uh, of, of the identity. So there was something, um, but but I I recognized that it was a big deal to be an immigrant. I was like, that's that's a that's a bold move. Um, and so I was curious about what that experience was like. And I was one, <laughs> like, boy, was I one, right? On this tiny island where it was kind of like being transported back in time. Um, and uh, the reason I bring it up in this context, though, I think the reason it came up as the story to tell today was being, you know, you know I'll, I'll put it in humanistic terms. What I learned on the island was no human as an island. Um, and the moment I got there, uh, the lights were out. It was in the middle of a storm. So we landed, it was this very turbulent um, boat ride, like four and a half hour boat ride. People were throwing up because we were so vertical, like on the ocean. Uh, and, and then we, we landed on the shore, it was midnight and there's no lights on the island. The island is full of rice paddies, um, had a couple of schools, a couple of which I taught at. Um, you know, and a little very small kind of like, like center, like town center that had the shops and the grocery stores and whatnot. So we land there and I get off and I'm like, whoa, what am I going to do? How am I going to find my house? Like, what am I going to do on this island? And very quickly, and, and I, you know, I, I was, I, someone did meet me and, and deposited me in the house that I lived in. Um, but what I quickly realized was I was like, I'm going to have to create a support system to enable me to navigate this place that is literally and culturally and figuratively as far away from what I have known as possible, right? So, so the next morning, like immediately the next morning, I went um, and just introduced myself to all the shop owners. And, and I was a pretty shy person at that point. Like I was a teacher. I had been, I had been in AmeriCorps during college. So I had a context where I stood up in front of people and spoke, but but it was my nature to be quite, quite shy. And I was, I was in the process of sort of finding my voice and how to use it. And so it was also this really powerful context for, for that. So I went and introduced myself, spoke to everybody in Japanese because that's what people spoke, <laughs> found um, a wonderful person who spoke English and Japanese and had studied English. So she became like a conversation partner and buddy and we learned from each other. But I said to them, I made it up on the spot. I was like, I'm going to teach uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm the new English teacher on the island, and I'm going to um, teach an adult English class. Um, and I'm, I would love to invite you to it. Uh, and, and it occurred to me that one of the ways to build community that's really easy was just like to offer something, right, to make a contribution. And I mean, lo and behold, like, it was an incredible experience. People, the, the I, I think the people who attended my class were everything from 20 to 85, like age range was like 20 to 85, number one. So I had this powerful intergenerational experience and I learned so much about Japanese culture. I, they were so generous as to show up um, and they became this incredible community and support system. And of course they were connected to everybody else in the island. So I was, I was resourced in a way. And, and I can't say that when I made that decision, I knew how generative it was going to be um, and how much I would receive. I was really focused. I did know I needed stuff and I was focused on, on the offering. I was also like, I need things to do in my spare time because clearly I'm gonna have a lot here because <laughs> I don't know anybody. I'm just getting here, right? Um, uh, but, it, but 
the, the last thing I'll say before, before I turn it back to you is like, it was also a very powerful experience to leave a city context and to be in a place where I got to get in rhythm with natural cycles, to go swimming every day. I was nuts. I went swimming every day until November because I, I was starved for, um, you know, that, that kind of interaction with, with the elements. Um, I was in the ocean a lot and, and I went hiking and it, it, it was, it was powerful. So I think to speak about resources and a relationship to resources, another thing I really gained from that experience was like an understanding of the different ways in which the United States and other countries and different parts of the states um, look at what a resource is and, and define what that is. In New York City, you know, you're surrounded by consumption and, and, and commodification and, and, um, uh, and the value system um, that values like, you know, uh, wealth, <laughs> right? Um, and New York is a little mellower on this than some other places, but we have our own version of conspicuous displays of wealth, right? As being You think it's mellower than other places? I've, also, I've been to, I, I would say like, I, I'm, the reference point I'm thinking of is LA. Or like, ah, yes, okay. The conspicuous display, yeah, absolutely. Um, but Japan, I was like, wow, like what resources these folks is connection and community, like the invisible and the power of that, right? Um, what also resources them and the ways in which they just have this profound respect because they were in rhythm as rice paddy farmers, as fisher, as you know, fishermen and women and people. Um, uh, they, they were just in relationship with the earth, with natural resources as well. And just the care, right? The care and the cognizance of like, this is a resource that I am here not just to receive from, but also to give to, nurture, tend to, steward. Um, so I think that was that was growing up in me there as well, that appreciation. So I feel like, um, and every time I talk with you, I, I learn more about the threads of your life and the through lines, and there's a real synergy between the different elements of your past and your life and your experiences. Um, that I don't think is is always the case with people, right? I think that people's lives can be disjointed in certain ways, um, and yours is not in a way that I think is um, is really refreshing and interesting. And so it isn't an accident. It doesn't surprise me that the work that you do is around what you call healing leadership, right? As I'm hearing you talk about what's motivated you and inspired you and how you arrived here and the work that you do. Um, this, this idea of healing leadership, of healing, of being in community um, seems really central. Hmm. So, what is healing leadership um, in in the work that you do? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like that's that. a big question. <laughs> Thank you for that question. Um, um, so I'll start by saying healing leadership is intentionally a double entendre. <laughs> right. 
like to be in the healing of what leadership itself is. I think, I think maybe it's more than a double entrance. Maybe it's a triple one because um, also like leaders, I, I am, I am a leader. I sit in the seat of somebody who has founded organizations and I'm a leader in that sense. I have been in leadership roles in government and in the private sector um, and in the nonprofit sector. And so I'm a leader. And I think I was just having a conversation with a CEO um, who was talking about how the, the, the uniqueness of the seat of, of leader is that you don't often get like the praise, acknowledgement, and recognition um, that you actually may need to feel whole and to feel into your wholeness. And there are some really seriously legitimate reasons for that, right? So um, just to go down this one specific path for a second, and then I'll come back to the, to the broader question. Um, the relationship between employee and leader is in, in, you know, in many workplaces is both beautiful and very fraught. And one dimension of that is power, right? It's like, it's like, why am I really going to praise the person in power? Because they got power. They got all the things. That, that's, that's one reason it yeah. doesn't go well, right? Um, another, and that's, you know, I, I really respect that perspective. I, I hear it. I understand it. And I have felt it in my life, um, sitting in the seat of an employee. Um, another one is that, that, and a reason that's often invoked is that it's very difficult to have empathy for a leader, for an executive director, for a CEO, for the steward of an organization. And, and one of the things I hear a lot of staff members say is like, what does that person even do? Right? Oh my goodness. Yes. It's like you show up in the middle of the day and there's some sense of like, you've been getting your nails done or like, you know, what, what, what are you doing? <laughs> you're twiddling your thumbs while we're we're out here right in the fields and i'm yes. making a yeah. reference yeah to, to some of our historical uh where, where the workplace itself was shaped in in mm-hmm. in our relationship to to each other as as people mm-hmm. and as human resources right mm-hmm. so that's yeah. a whole conversation <laughs> um but uh but that that and and so again, I, I really understand the perspective and I, I so appreciate it when, when staff members say it, it's like, they, they're like, what are you doing all day? Which is another way of saying like, it's hard to have empathy for you because I actually don't know what you do. And very yeah. often it's true. I don't actually have visibility into yeah. what you do, right? We also talk about this, this very concept also in the context of race, right? Like, if I'm a white person, I don't know what the experience of a black person is. And accordingly, is it's essentially like, especially if you bring in a trauma-informed perspective, which we do, if you're sitting in the seat of the trauma of that separation, <laughs> then it's yeah. even difficult to imagine, which is which is necessary from a psychosomatic and neuroscience perspective, to invoke our imaginations. Uh, we're drawing on on a physio, on a physiological state um, that very often is different than than a trauma state that we might find mm-hmm. ourselves in mm-hmm. as adult, right? So the capacity to imagine is required for the capacity to have empathy. And if you can't tap yeah. into the former, it's hard to tap into the latter. 
So to, to bring it back to this, to this relationship between the, the, the staff member and, and the leader, um, this, this conversation I had with the CEO before this call uh, it was, was so awesome because she was, she was bemoaning that. And that's where we got into a conversation about like, what is healing leadership? What's the opportunity? So when we say transforming workplaces to healing spaces, part of what we're inviting you to do is to step into a frame shift. So um, I could relate to you. There, there are different ways I can envision the roles that we're playing, right? I, I, can, I can be like, I'm a staff member and you're my leader, you're my boss. And so accordingly, I might struggle to have empathy for you. I might struggle to, I, I might not, it might not even be fair or just for me to offer you praise because you are the one with power, if that's the frame that I'm bringing to it. And the invitation when we say healing, like when we say uh, from work to healing, so drop the work role and go to like the whole role. And, and there's a lot of room to play in there, but the simple one I'll say is like, how about if we envision ourselves as people who are in community right now, sitting across from each other, right, in, in, in a room? That's a frame shift. I'm, I'm not relating to you through the lens of this role, but I'm actually just relating to you as a person, right? And a concrete manifestation of that as the CEO I was talking to is like, this is why things, rituals as simple as like, let's have a coffee chat, yo. Know? Like, yeah. Right? Where I'm dropping... There's something about that that is that creates a context and a container that's very clear. It was like, and, and the rules she spoke about. We we're joking about like it's like the Fight Club, right? Have a rule, have a rule when you frame that container. And the rule is we're not talking about work. And so what that invites is we're not playing that role. And then it invites this powerful creativity and generativity. So what roles are we playing? that's connected to empower, like a sense of empowerment and a sense of agency. So now I can create you, right? And I can create myself as the thing I wanna be, as like the highest expression of possibility we could have in this moment yeah. as two people who are in relationship with each other. So what is that? And that's where we get to connect to our own values as well. Like what the highest expression is for most people in common parlance or in organizational development parlance is, is our values. So what do I value and how am I going to show up? How am I going to value you in the way that I value, period, right? And so if I value as a person who I'm in community with, my capacity to have empathy for you in that faith, it exists. It's there. It's just so much more accessible to me because I don't have, I don't have these. So um, that, that I'm going to pause there because I said a lot and, and just... In, invite you to steer me as you choose, but, but that's part of what concretely comes up for me in response to what is healing leadership. And there's so much more I can say, but. but I mean, I guess one question I have is where do you, where do you hit roadblocks in your work? Because as I'm listening, yeah. everything you're saying resonates with me, um, <laughs> right? P personally and, um, you know, while I absolutely had space to grow as a leader when I was running my various organizations and still do and will continue to for the next 45 years of my life, my, um, my orientation was towards a lot of what you are saying, right, to learn how to be 
better at being in community and to disrupt traditional notions of power and all of these things. So, so that's great if you're working with people like me. <laughs> I guess I'm intrigued though, you know, the cynic in me, and this part of me grows as I get older, it's like, yes. are there as many people like me and you? Like, right, do you find yourself in, in spaces doing this work where it's really clear what the conversations are, what the reframes might need to be, yeah. what the challenges are, but there is resistance within the organization to what you are bringing to the table and to what you are sharing. Cause it sounds also like hard work, right? So I guess that's what's coming up for me is like, this is amazing if you're in spaces where people are like, yes, bring it on, let's, let's get messy together. But I feel like there just aren't as many of those spaces. Um, Mm. Oh, I love your question, Brooke. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, and just briefly before I respond, I also want to just acknowledge your leadership, uh, founding these organizations and the, the seat that you sat in and the service that you offered. And I just want to say thank you. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> it's it's to get to know you better and also hear about your contributions and and um never too late to acknowledge somebody for their contributions <laughs> um, thank you yeah um i'm so appreciative of your question and uh my my, my broad answer is yes ma'am <laughs> so so i have a few specific um, a specific, a few specific responses. Um, the first one is I, so the company I founded before Be Free was called Alight and Alight was, uh, in the business of, I'm using that term a lot today. It's funny. Um, Light was in the business of, um, of working with, uh, leaders from superintendents, CEOs, um, heads of school districts, deputy mayors in the education space on essentially like strategy, long-term strategic planning and policy work in primarily urban education districts around the country. And, and that, that is part of the, the birthplace of Be Free and the vision for it. It was both, we were both a response to what we understood was happening in the education system, particularly urban education systems, which were, were the ones that we were working with. Um, and some of the things we found challenging about the urban education system, as well as like that, that work itself, the consulting work we were doing, which was the, the mouthful, I will describe it as was like equity driven and rooted, um, multi-stakeholder, uh, strategic planning processes. So just, just quickly on that, it was like, Hey, everybody, if we're going to create a five-year policy, you know, a five-year strategic plan at the district level, how about we have black and brown people at the table if the right. entire leadership right. team is, how about we have right. parents and community members from diverse, irrespective of race, from diverse contexts to bring to bear, because we are a system that's interacting with the broader ecosystem. Right. Um, and there was a lot of resistance to that idea, right? It's like, why, why don't we just make the decisions? Because we can. <laughs> well, it goes back to what you're saying. It's not, that's not, that's takes a long time. That's not efficient. There's, yeah. Mm -hmm. well, 
so when I hit a point in that work where it, despite our success as a consulting practice, like where I felt like I was rolling a boulder uphill, um, the learning for me that then became pretty central in the approach that we took on the business side of Be Free was let's be a response to demand, right? So, so I say that to say, and, and when I think about nature inefficiency, I'm like, I, I sort of think, uh, like, I, I look at, I, I think about efficiency. Um, I often use the term emotional efficiency, but, it, but this energetic balance kind of, of giving and receiving, right? Um, and uh, being a response to demand, there's something about that that feels very clear, right? It's like the demand exists and we are here to respond to that. I think we also, and my personality as a person <laughs> is, is uniquely well-suited to, to be that. So, um, I, and what I, what I mean by that is in, in these, in, in this kind of service orient, human service oriented field, uh, you can, you can think of a similar like adjunct as like therapy. If you try <laughs> this is my made up word. If you try to therapize somebody who's not trying to do therapy, it ain't gonna work. Doesn't work. That's right. Okay. Right. And that's ex that that's actually a beautiful lesson in the equity space. Like we're not trying to do it to you, for you, against you, over you. We actually this needs to be a co-created partnership where we are in mutually agreed upon relationship. So so that to me is 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 what we mean by like response to demand so have you self-identified that you have a need okay so that that addresses one dimension of your question folks so, and that's in part why we specifically focus on what we describe as mission-driven organizations we're not trying to roll right the we we do work with b corps we, you know so we work in the corporate space but but with folks who have more of an explicit orientation to mission because um, we feel we'll be more effective there. Like we're not gonna serve everybody because we're not gonna work for everybody. And we are gonna be, we're gonna feel quote unquote, like a radical departure for some folks. And we respect that, right? And I'm not trying to roll a boulder uphill. I'm trying to- Yeah, that's right. Greater potential mm -hmm. that, right? In this mutually- Give people tools to do something that they are inclined to do. That they are on the precipice of, you know, they're feeling their ready, their readiness, or they need some groundwork, and then they'll be ready, right? So, so there is there that that's one dimension of it. The second is we integrate the resistance into the work because that's what we mean by healing and wholeness. Like, we all have resistance to our own growth and development, right? One way or another. Um, and in my worldview and belief system. It is that very impetus. It, it, it is that very resistance um, that is necessary for our growth. Because if we didn't have kind of the pressure against or the obstacle, there wouldn't be anything sufficiently awakening to say, "Hey, you got to do something different than what you're doing right now." We'd be we'd be chilling. So that's another way at a at a more existential or philosophical or spiritual level. I relate to um, uh, discomfort or 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 right or death um it's like this thing we're like afraid of or we want to put aside what happens when we develop a kind of more friendly relationship to it that says this is integral to my growth this is my offering and my resource to work with and we also recognize that like without suffering or without trauma it, the other side also is like less enlivened right so um 
so that that's that's an, that's what we do. And the third thing I'll say is there are times where we step away from clients when because we don't know right until we know and we're in the experience. And this has actually been rare, but it happened recently um, at the end of last year, where where we where the the mutual capacity for trust and flow and being in a state of emergence with each other. And this, I don't mean we don't have structure. I mean, we have structure, but where you feel you have sufficient groundwork in your relationship that you can do this difficult work, this long-term work that requires, you know, commitment and a willingness to do things differently. Um, if that's, if that ground doesn't feel fertile enough, and this is a thing where we sense into it, right? Um, uh, like if that's not fertile enough, we will, um, it, it, it feels like a, like a mutual gift to, to disinvest, you know, um, and, and respect our mutual limitations there. So, so yes to boundaries <laughs> and boundary setting, um, and to say yes to saying no, <laughs> um, and we respect it should clients say that to us. Right. Uh, and, and in early conversations, there are times where clients are like, this all sounds good, but what are we going to have to do? Are we going to have to do that? Man, no, we're not. We're not feeling that. Cool. We respect you for knowing, knowing what you need. Mm -hmm. So I guess where my mind goes from there, which is probably a nice way to bring us full circle, is if I am a leader of an organization that is inclined to engage in this work, right? Either that looks around as we emerge from the pandemic and just sort of the chaos of the last three years and says, you know, there's some recalibration on my team that we could do, or I'm building a new team and I wanna make sure that the bones of this team, you know, reflect our values, right? They're inclined to engage in the work um, that you offer what advice might you offer about sort of next best steps that they can take in their own lives and their own journeys, right? I guess, what, how do we operationalize this idea of healing leadership in our own actions and our own organizations, even if we aren't able to ready yet um, to engage an organization like yours? Yeah. Oh, thank you for that. That's a great question. Um, I love talking to you because I feel like it's like, you know, just like this little angel on my shoulder that's like, you're doing a great job. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> feels, thank you. It feels amazing. <laughs> like positive reaffirmation, you know. <laughs> thank you. I, I, um, it's so it's so real though it's like i know because i know i'm you know talking with you like you're so genuine that's what you know it just makes me think about um you know kids like i have my little kids and every time i praise them and i'm genuine they're just their whole face just lights up and you're like right humans like to be recognized <laughs> so i just i wanted to reflect that back to you because you know, I love doing these conversations. I love having these podcast interviews, but I'm just feeling very light in this one. And I'm realizing it's because there's just this wonderful flow of positive energy oh, coming oh. from you. Thank you. <laughs> so so thank much. you for that. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I, my, my quick response to that, my simple response to that is 
um, we all need more love. Yeah, we do. <laughs> and there's so much we can do with it, right? Like when we feel it, it gets transmuted quickly and beautifully and, and um, it has powerful ripple effects. So thanks for that reflection. I receive it. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> May, may we be offering a lot of that love to everybody who's listening. Um, uh, so your question, what was your question? <laughs> I went down the path. We're like, we went down the path of love. So my question was, and I actually think it's sort of related to this. How do people operationalize this idea? Yeah. I love this. One of my clients actually, uh, after about a year of working together, um, they were doing some awesome work on their values. And, and one of the things they, they say is they're in the business of operationalizing love. They work in the elder care space, they're nonprofit in the elder care space, and they get really concrete about it. Right. And, and I think it, it is very relevant because we often, it's like, we think we can operationalize what's visible and tangible and material as resources. And part of what we're in the business of is being like, there's a whole set of untapped resources here that are invisible, right? And, and some of the invisible forces in our lives are the most powerful. Love is an example, right? You can, you can tangibilize it. But when we think generally, like, you know, in our culture about what love is, it's this ethereal, difficult to grasp thing, and yet it moves us so, so powerfully. Um, so I really appreciate the, per, the, the question from that perspective. And I will, I will get very specific instead of very broad because I'm choosing to do something different than my own default. Um, okay. <laughs> um, number one is to do that exactly. Choose something different. So if you find yourself, like part of, part of healing leadership, if one dimension of it is unleashing more of your own potential, and increasing the you know the tool set that you have at your disposal to actually do that, that is one dimension of it. Um, you you've got to try things and experiment with things and experiment with different ways of doing things. So, very specifically, I'm going to choose conflict as a context because that's a that's a challenging one. It's a space we work in as well. We do a lot of work around conflict, and we reframe it as. We, re, we, we call the sessions, we do learning and healing um, sessions. Uh, and so if you find yourself in the context of a conflict, um, defaulting to one way of showing up, let's say you avoid it because it's uncomfortable and you're trying to do it and you want to walk away from it. I with a lot of self-love, and this is where love helps as a resource and a support. So self-love might be might look like you go talk to a friend or you say some powerful stuff to yourself in the mirror or you dance and get in your body, um, but you do something that cares for you and drawing from that additional resource you might have internally, the next time you find yourself in conflict, uh, number one, you gotta notice it, <laughs> right? So you, you you might create some cues for yourself, like searching your body, like, oh, I'm activated. I'm in, I'm in some version of conflict right now. Searching our bodies is a very quick way 
to understand our state and what's happening and the kind of sense-making that's going on. Um, and then two is you might pause and take that breath that I've been taking to buy myself time in these inquiries and also to relate to you and to myself. And you might just ask yourself the question of how do I usually respond? Right? Do I walk away if I'm, if I'm avoiding, right? If my tendency is to avoid, do I just walk away or find some way that's artful that looks like I'm engaging, but I'm actually shutting it down? Maybe I choose uh, something different and that something different looks like I just stay with the person a little longer and I shift the focus to actually listening them to hear what they have to say and understand what they have to say, as opposed to um, trying to leave. <laughs> and if I, if I normally can do that, that thing, cause you're probably doing that to some extent already, right? So this is also building on what's already there. It's just growing it a little bit. If I normally can stay for, uh, let's say two minutes, my invitation and my practice to myself for choosing something different is I'm going to make this two and a half minutes. And for the half minute, I'm going to spend, I'm going to spend those 30 seconds just being with the person and taking it in. So that was a very specific little chain, but choosing something different is, is And one. baby steps, right? And I hear sort of, it doesn't have to be, and I think this can really get us this idea of like, okay, I have to do, make this massive change in how I am and how I show up. But I'm hearing pick one thing, focus on it, make a small change, and that's a win. It totally. Yeah. And the thing I will say there, the second part of that practice is go home or go elsewhere and reflect on what you did. Yeah. Um, because in, in, in our work, um, you know, and in the coaching world, this is this is a very this is an idea that, that gets kicked around a lot. It's just like, how do you learn? You, you can't learn unless you reflect. You can't learn unless you pause to let right. what happened in you so that it actually gets integrated. So it, it can become your resource. Like learning means you now have resourced yourself with a new experience. You've unpacked it a little bit. You've lived into it. You felt the lived experience. You felt the felt experience. And then next time you go off with that. But it helps to just, you know, in our fast paced world, let it, let it sit with you. Um, so that's my offering <laughs> in that response is to your question. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, well, where can folks go to learn more about how to work with you? Um, or, and just more about your work, but in particular, you know, how to work with you, how to connect with you. I know you're on LinkedIn, you have a website. Why don't you share that info so folks can reach out to you? Yeah. So we, um, uh, our website is is www.bfree.live, L-I-V-E. So it's be free without the E. <laughs> um, that's one way uh, to get in touch. And we have a little uh, info section on there where folks can email us. So you can, you know, on the contact page, that's one. The other, which we didn't talk much about today, but the other um, organization that I'm, I'm very active in help found is a nonprofit that's called Solar, S-O-L-A-R, Responders, R-E-S-P-O-N-D-E-R-S.com. And um, just briefly there, uh, about five years ago, 
um, I became founding board chair of an organization that puts solar panels and battery storage on first responder stations in Puerto Rico. And we have solarized uh, about 20% of, of the first responder stations there, and we intend to do them all. So we, I invite you Incredible. to check out our work. Um, yeah, in the spirit of, of how do we become better stewards of our, of our resources. One thing that I will highlight before we say goodbye is I started off this conversation sort of referencing um, how you do so many things. Um, and so I just, I want to just put a, a pin, a fine point on the fact that you actually just talked about two entirely <laughs> distinct entities that you have this really deep stake in and help to steward and grow and um and I just I just wanted to sort of lift that up because, you know, as I um, as you and I talk and um, and I hear more about what you do, I said this, there is a through line and there's a synergy between the things that you do and this idea of, of healing leadership, pun intended, right? Wordplay intended um, is just so important to how I think we who do social impact work are going to have to think about working together if we're really going to navigate this world that we seem to have found ourselves in. Mm -hmm. um, so I just want to thank you for the work that you do and for sharing it with us today. I really encourage folks who are listening, check out the Be Free website. Um, learn more about solar responders. And uh, thank you, Nita, for, for being here today with me. Oh, we're better together, Brooke. Thank you for creating the opportunity uh, to live into that together. Have a wonderful evening. You too. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you think what we talk about here, the trainings and the guests and the conversations could benefit another leader in your life, I'd love if you would leave a review and share with your friends. If you want to take the next step and begin to put into practice what we talk about on this podcast, I've created a toolkit where I collect and share downloads from many of our conversations. It's got templates, worksheets, and references to help you execute on what we talk about here on The Mastermind. There's lots of great stuff, and I add to it almost every week. You can download it at richiebabbage.com backslash architecture of impact toolkit. I also want to share another free resource for leaders of growing nonprofits. It's a free training. It's called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. The four questions you need to ask to know if your nonprofit is really ready to scale. Growing an organization doesn't happen by accident, as we all know. You have to take the right strategic steps at the right time to avoid overwhelm and burnout and that horrible feeling that so many of us have had as you watch the work of your organization outstrip capacity and sometimes even funding. It's almost impossible to reverse engineer good growth. And by that, I mean growth that can be sustained over time just by looking at what you think you see in other organizations. So in this free training, I help cut through all the noise and I identify the four simple questions that if you really engage with them and think about them, 
will tell you when you're ready to grow without frenzy, without overwhelm, and with the confidence that you're making the right moves for your organization. You can access the training at richiebabbage.com backslash ready to scale. If you'd like more leadership resources and strategies in your life, sign up for my weekly newsletter, Leadership Forward 321. Each week, I curate and share three articles, two resources, and a quote on a theme. You can get that at richiebabbage.com backslash leadership forward 321. That's all for now. Have a great week, and I'll see you back here next week for more Mastermind.